welcome to Honey, this podcast isn't big enough for the two of us. It's not big enough. It's not My big name's Marin. My name's EJ. We're a little silly tonight. We're yeah, we're in a silly mood tonight. I think it means quality content for you, listener. <laughs> and I think that's gonna be really fun. <laughs> I think so too. How are you doing? I am good. I'm silly. I'm having a good time. Nice. How about you? I'm good. Yeah. Any big changes in your life recently? Yeah, there's been like a couple. Like maybe a couple. Like maybe that's why we haven't recorded in a while. Yeah, I moved house. So we live in a new apartment now. Me and our lovely our lovely friend slash partner for EJ slash roommate for me, <laughs> Hannah, um, live here in this apartment now. It's much nicer than our old apartment. It's really nice. Um, which is really great to and live in a place wa- where there isn't just like potentially lead paint chipping off of your wall at all yeah. times, you know? That's like pretty nice. And it's walking distance from me, which I like it is. a lot. We live in a little walkable city and now it's actually walkable for me too. Um, I don't like just live on a strip anymore, yeah. which slays. And my my dear partner is currently living in, in Glasgow in Scotland. Um, yeah. Not me though. Hi Liv. I know you listen all the time. We miss you. That's true. They do listen. They listen yeah. to, they are not an MCR fan and they do listen to every episode. So. And we love that. So we you love guys that behavior. just like <laughs> step it up is what I'm saying for like everybody else. Um, yeah. So there's just been tons and tons going on because yeah. of that. But now we're like in an actual comfortable podcasting setup. We were saying before, like truly we want you guys to know we have been just like kind of squatting in front of stools, just like yeah, in just in weird, terrible, uncomfortable positions. Every podcast episode you've heard, I've been sitting on the floor for two hours. Mm-hmm. And I've been like hunched over a chair and like a coffee table, which for a guy with back problems. No, not, not good. good. Not, not good. good. Um, but we're reclining on a beautiful velvet sofa now. We're sitting on a couch. Um, I was like, wow, we could really actually like film ourselves doing this now for content. I know oh, we could and we like look like we're in a nice place and not in like a terrifying empty room with overhead light that's what's been going on here uh it's a lot of stuff um and so sorry for the delay but we're back now and we got a couple eps coming up we're taking a bit of a break from the angels of it all yeah yeah here's what's, just a pause here's what's happening we love to research we yeah. love to like bring you a very carefully planned and plotted episode about like high academic theory and my chemical romance but it takes a lot of effort to do this yeah and we're busy and popular so it's hard (laughs) so we're gonna do a couple of like filler episodes and then we'll get back to angels yes um once we read a couple of books yeah we realized that like so the next episode of angels being about you know disability and illness oh we want to read like three books for this episode like truly three books and we just don't have the goddamn fucking time so we're taking a pause to talk about some things we know really well yeah and some things that you probably know really well if you're my chemical romance listener i feel like there's no possible way that any single person who's listening to this podcast has not um consumed this many many times maybe there is though maybe some people are still so new to the fandom i guess that's true that i think that they don't know about and we're really burying the lead here Life on the murder scene. Life on the murder scene. <laughs> We're talking about her. We yeah. really realized very, I was like, hey, we haven't done a life on the murder scene episode yet. What's the Which matter with us? Which is crazy. Isn't that insane? Because it is foundational. It's foundational. It ab- absolutely like one of the canonical texts of my chemical romance. It is. Also, if you hear road noise in the background, it's because I live on a busy street now. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to try to edit out as much as possible. But if you hear some, deal with it. 
yeah so life on the murder scene is what we're gonna talk about um and we also are gonna record we're gonna record some some hot questions as well we're gonna get dip into our ask box which you will hear um next time so that's gonna be what we're doing before our return to angels yeah we got another mailbox episode. Another mailbox. We really liked doing last time. We thought it was a great way to just kind of pile a lot of questions together and like group them together around yeah. similar themes. Yeah. So we're going to try and do that again. And um, it's like, yeah, it's a lot of fun to talk about so many different things in one episode too. I have a lot of fun just like going through and getting to wear a lot of hats yes. in one thing, you know? picture known hat wearers <laughs> known hat wearers wearing a stack of hats whenever you guys send us <laughs> send us um some mail yeah. so that's what's going on there and you guys have such good like questions and comments yeah that yeah we we there's even like since we last discussed what questions we wanted to answer on this pod we've got more yeah so and we love them it's awesome yeah. yeah every everything that you guys send in is so fun it really is i guess since the last time we recorded a lot i mean we recorded last in like july yeah i know it's not insane so it's uh, we're on like the one year anniversary of seeing mcr and i think that's also a really fun thing to commemorate damn albany that was wild damn albany that was wild wild um (laughs) yeah happy one year anniversary of the tour everybody it's been so fun watching everybody celebrate things that happened a year ago what a fever dream that all was, huh? I know. Like, I like, can't believe that that actually is a thing that happened and existed. Seeing all of these things get like commemorated, like today is the one year of the nurse outfit. Ugh. And oh my God. Ugh. Like I remember seeing all of those gifts that came out like immediately after, like the little Gerard smile when they see themselves on the monitor. Uh, insanity uh, insanity insanity yeah they look so pretty and they know it they know it my god like we were so we were treated so well by this whole experience like things that i could not in my wildest imagination have thought would happen happened it's just really cool to see a band that like as we're gonna talk about today and as we talk about every episode but as we're really going to talk about today like really defined a culture of a period of time and a, and a type of music like be so aware of both their position in that coming out of that time period and how they're looked out now like they're just so aware of like how they're how they're perceived by their audience, how they've always been perceived by their audience, how they were and now they're not, et cetera. So it's just been really, it was just such a cool, like looking back on it now a year later, it's just a really, it's a really cool time and it's a really cool thing that happened. And like all of the audience and like band interactions were really, just really, just really cool. So anyway, yeah. Anyway, I'm so grateful for it, and I am hopeful that we will get more, and if, if not now, then soon, and if not soon, then eventually, and I'm so grateful. Thank you, My Chemical Romance. Yeah. Shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. I'm drinking a beer. Hold on. Yeah, I'm going to do the same. So, where to fucking start with Life on the Murder Scene, huh? That's a great question. Um... Life on the murder scene. If you are one of the the MCR babies who you're new to the fandom, welcome. Welcome. We're so excited that you're here. 
so glad that you're listening to our podcast. Weird that's, that this podcast is your intro. But. You know what? If this podcast <laughs> is your intro, I'm really happy for you. <laughs> that's true. Um, that's that's true. Cool, no, actually, actually, that is true. Like, yeah. you're cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Statistically, probably this is not the case. But but maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Mm. Um, so if you're not aware, Life on the Murder Scene, it's a documentary. It is. About My Chemical Romance. It's a documentary about My Chemical Romance. It was released in 2006. Here, let me say confidently and you can edit around it. It was released in 2006. It was released in 2005. And then you just pick whichever one of those is correct in editing. <laughs> I'm going to put this whole thing in it. Fuck you. <laughs> um, 2006. 2006. Yeah. So I was right the okay. first time. Great. And I really hope you edit it to make me look smart in knowing that. So... Um, it was released in 2006. It is um, part of the broader Life on the Murder Scene album. Yes. Which had a lot of live versions of songs. Um, and then it also included the documentary. It is two hours long. It is truly. Every time I sit down to watch it, I'm like, why the fuck is this movie so long? It's, it's really long. Arguably, like, way too long. It doesn't like, need to be as long as it is. <laughs> but here's the thing. I'm so glad it is. I'm so glad we have it. I'm so but, glad like, we also, have it. why'd you make it so fucking long? Edit. Yeah. Edit. Edit. Or, like, <laughs> really, I don't know. I wouldn't. What would you trade? What would you cut out? Um, Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I mean, I would just edit some of the stuff down. You, you pro- could anyway. probably, yeah. You probably could. Anyway, the right in with what you'd cut from Life on the I'm not, scene. yeah. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not complaining that we have more content. Yeah. So, so um, it's a documentary. It follows the band um, kind of from pre-Revenge mm-hmm. through the production and release of Revenge, their growing popularity, um, and it starts to foreshadow some Black Parade stuff. Yeah. So it's a really cool document from a time when, b- before MCR got as big as they were going to get. And we get to see them pre a lot of fame. Yeah, really. I know. It's so crazy to have that kind of document, right? Because, like, obviously they have, like, the Black Parade is Dead. Mm-hmm. That, the, it's a concert video. The, right. Yeah. The, live, the live movie or whatever. And Venganza. But, like... They don't talk. They don't fucking talk in those things. Yeah. So it's so crazy to have the most these people have been on camera or whatever, other than like interviews for like right before you know something crazy is gonna happen to them. You know, and you can tell. I think that they know that something crazy is gonna happen, right? Yeah. Like there's something in the air um, it, with them all the time. Um, yeah, but. and it also follows the the record label. Right. right. Like they signed to Warner. The production of this movie is made possible by that. Right. right? Like right. they wouldn't have the funds without a major label. Right. Yeah. But that also gives us these kind of rare glimpses. And, you know, there's also some other like there's the the bullets in the studio stuff like they've been recorded before. Yeah. Um, but this which is just by fr- like by friends. Yeah. 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 Which is just somebody with like a shitty camera. Yeah, exactly. Um, not that Life in the Murder Scene isn't someone with just a shitty camera. And it, and it is. <laughs> and it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's we get glimpses, but this is the most robust and like narrativized. Yeah. Nar- narrated is the correct word. <laughs> um, most narrated film. Yeah. So we wanted to talk a little bit about documentary, like yeah. the idea of documentaries and like specifically also banned documentaries. Mm-hmm. So let's do that. Let's do that. Hey, what is a documentary? 
a movie that proposes itself to be capturing something that isn't fictional that is like really happening in real life yeah yeah that is like focusing on like a, a quote-unquote real and not fictionalized thing or that's mm-hmm. how documentaries present themselves yeah 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 no that's i think that's a great definition okay, cool yeah what do you, are there other documentaries you like what other documentaries oh. do you like i really did just whip that question no off. i mean did you think of Paris is Burning? Because that was what was no. On the tip I mean, of my obviously tongue. Paris is Burning. Yeah, Paris is Burning is a great documentary. If you hadn't, if you haven't seen it and you're listening to this podcast, you're gonna love it. Watch Paris is Burning. Paris is Burning, incredible documentary. Um, I watched Grey Gardens recently. Love Grey Gardens. Love Grey Gardens. Weird. Just weird, eccentric, not narrated at all. Yeah. Like there are a lot of different genres of documentary. Like yeah. Paris is Burning is clearly constructed to tell a story about certain individuals. Right. Grey Gardens is just off the wall. Like, they're just spewing whatever they're spewing, and it's interesting. Yeah. Um, But it's not as much of a strong narrative. Um, And then the only other documentary I can think of off the dome is Bama Rush. Have you seen that? I haven't seen it. I've so I've heard good things from you and I've heard very controversial things from other people. I've heard really? Yes, I've Whoa. heard either the people really like it and really enjoyed watching it mm-hmm. um or really didn't like it and really didn't enjoy watching it. So I don't know. This is what I've heard. I know that it has very negative like community reviews on Rotten Tomatoes because all the sorority girls at Alabama got on and left it negative reviews. That's funny. Um which is very very funny. Um but I I thought it was really well made. It was very self-aware as a documentary. Like, like the director was very present yeah. in the narrative. Okay. And yeah. I thought it was cool that she was out there and just narrating the way she narrated. Yeah, cool. Anyway, um, those are some documentaries. So. I like the documentary Keddy. I haven't seen that. It's about cats in Istanbul. That sounds cool. It's really that lovely. That sounds really cool. It's really lovely. It's just like it focuses on there's a ton of street cats in Istanbul and so like everybody in the city just like interacts with cats on a daily basis because there's tons of them all around. It's just extremely sweet. It like follows like um a couple of different people, one person who's like a fisherman, one guy who owns a shop, one guy who like an artist, whatever. It's just really sweet and it's a beautiful like Istanbul's a beautiful city. So there's a lot of really beautiful shots of Istanbul and like Turkish culture and just like really, really cool stuff. And there's some lovely cat stuff in it yeah. as well, which is just really it's so sweet. It's really beautiful. I don't watch a ton of documentaries, but I do watch a lot of like like nonfiction TV stuff. Yeah. I love Anthony Bourdain. Oh, yes. Anthony Bourdain's No Reservations, mm-hmm. etc. I love him. We love, I mean, I don't know if you love him. I love him. I, I, love I haven't him. watched a ton of him, yeah. but I, everything I've I seen love I've him loved. as, his death affected me so much when he died because he just like, I mean, his whole thing was like, you go to a culture and you eat food from the grandmothers. And like, he shows that on his shows time and time again. And like, just explores with locals and stuff like that. I don't know. It's like, yeah. In the catalog of like travel TV shows, which are usually extremely exploitative um, and just don't handle cultural difference well and like exoticize it he is never somebody who has done that and really sought to make to make other people less scary to americans who might be scared of other people that's that really makes me that is a ringing endorsement for anthony bourdain he's i've only seen like a couple episodes and and just a really excellent guy yeah just a really interesting guy too so so documentaries. They so come documentary. In, they come in a lot of different forms. <laughs> Me too. Some you can of watch them something about a cat or about Alabama. Right. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I something that I love about documentaries is that they take niche interests or things that may not necessarily be remarkable yes. to average people and then make them remarkable. Totally. Like straight cats. Like right. that they, they become more interesting when you show them in a different context, when you highlight certain parts of them. Right. Um, they need the narrative to kind of rise. In right. That way. So this is part of what we wanted to talk about in terms of like documentaries and like the purpose of documentaries and how like documentaries frame themselves as being about like a true thing, like a mm-hmm. factual thing. But we want to like trouble that a little bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. documentaries attempt to like show real life like right. show something real as it is right show the facts yeah <laughs> but we know that anything that is human made whether it is a story whether it is science right like it is biased in a way yep. it has human intervention in a way and in the case of a documentary that is uh, a narrative yeah it's working within a framework yeah yeah. You tell a story in an order. Yep. You highlight certain things and you leave other and things out. And you leave out. other things out. Yeah. We only see Gerard Way sleeping briefly in this film. <laughs> but we must believe that he slept at other periods. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's by by necessity of being selective, yeah. it tells a story. Yeah. Yeah. And that is cool. And it I is. don't think Live on the Murder Scene necessarily... I don't know we talk about this like attempts to present itself as like a hands-off documentation of yeah what it was like um but I think sometimes I don't know I'm totally getting ahead of us but like fancy it that way maybe yeah well yeah we can talk about that later but let's talk about it later okay. I think that that's a good idea yeah yeah I we're definitely gonna talk about that later so so banned documentaries specifically banned documentaries yes this is not the first documentary that's ever been made about a music group <laughs> no that's true that it's just simply not true yeah the kind of foundational banned documentary um is a hard day's night mm-hmm. um which is about the Beatles it is um I've not seen it it's very scripted yeah yeah um, is it even a documentary? Is it even considered a documentary? I'm wondering. Yeah, it's technically a musical comedy film. Okay. It's like, it's them, but they're, it's they're scripted. Like trying to get it's to a scripted. Show. Yeah. It's like the... It's scripted. Okay. There's like, they're evading a horde of fans and then hilarity ensues okay. kind of thing. Yeah. It is technically scripted, even mm-hmm. though they're like playing themselves and being themselves, which is interesting. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, it's a very like it's attempting to show and market the band in a particular way yeah exactly which is totally what life on the murder scene is and also it's um it was very successful yeah right? extre- extremely successful. it was extremely yeah. successful because it was the beatles and it was 1964 yeah. right <laughs> and the culture around them was exploding yeah and um that kind of became a like a jumping off point for other bands to to make documentaries about their themselves their rise to fame their popularity just the behind the scenes get to know them better totally kind of yeah so the point of like we were talking about like what is the point like what are band documentaries trying to do like what is like it's an industry thing as you said it's a promotion thing mm-hmm. it's like a marketing thing it's also kind of displaying the way that fan interaction happens like how the fan culture exists around this band who is fans of the band which often sets the cultural like vibe in the scene for that band right yeah. um so you see the Beatles running away from a horde of fans. Beatlemania already existed. It's continuing that, you know? Mm -hmm. We were also saying band documentaries are a lot about masculinity. Oh, yeah. 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 It 
presents a certain kind of like musician masculinity right in a way that i don't know seems to have common tropes to it <laughs> maybe oh boy we didn't write enough down there no we did not mm, conveying quote unquote themes <laughs> What does that mean? <laughs> we wrote part of this. <laughs> two seltzers in. I know. Yeah, that's so true. Two hard seltzers, two let's hard be clear. Se- Not just regular seltzers. <laughs> we the drank- bubbles got us crazy. <laughs> we drank two seltzers and we got fucking insane. The bubbles <laughs> went to our brains. Those bubbles went straight into my hippocampus, dude. Crazy. Um, yeah, it's like conveying like what masculinity is within a scene. I haven't watched any like actual like hard rock documentaries i don't know whether there's anything of like metal bands i'm certain there is mm-hmm. i would be shocked if there was not of yeah. like kiss or motley Crue or metallica mm-hmm. or whatever metallica not should not be grouped in with motley Crue <laughs> and kiss please no one yell at me um marin's marin's the metal fan <laughs> i am the metal fan um but for like a band like motley Crue um or bands like them as an example mm-hmm. it's like like i'm thinking of the mockumentary spinal tap yeah which is like meant to like parody Mm -hmm. metal bands like that i haven't seen that yet it's really good we should watch that um it's conveying like what masculinity is in their scene so like specifically it's like do they have groupies how are they approaching women what is the is that being focused on at all um are they trying to convey that is it like drug sex sex rock and roll you know like how are they talking about drug use how are they talking about partying how are they talking about all of these things in a documentary it conveys a certain atmosphere of masculinity and like how these bands are using this masculinity in order to a market themselves like that's how they want to be displayed and b make money b make money yeah (laughs) b make money yeah 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 and i think there's like a specific as as a narrative structure right like if you are telling a story with a documentary then tropes apply Right. And like the figure of the philandering rock star is very culturally prominent. Right. So it becomes very easy to be like, how do we tell this story about this band? Even if you don't know anything about them. Right. So Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about like the physical. The production. The production of like the murder scene. So unlike any kind of concert video that you would see today. Or, like, behind-the-scenes stuff that might be, like, released by a label. Life on the murder scene is very low budget. Yeah, it is. It is shaky early 2000s camera footage. It's not made with a, like, top-of-the-line camera. It's That footage is not stabilized. Like, it (laughs) is very... It's low budget. And that, I think, also adds to the story, right? Like, these are kids from Jersey, these are kids that aren't from, like, money. They're they're just... They're not from Hackensack, bro. <laughs> they're just riding around in a van, and they're kind of grimy, and so is the yeah. footage. Yeah. Um, so it portrays that ethos. Um, and then I also wanted to talk about when we, I think, as a fandom, talk about Life on the Murder Scene, we never talk about the director. Yeah, that's true. And the director, so his name's Brad Nelson. There's another director, but he's, I think, from the label. But Brad Nelson shot most of the footage um, and is credited as a director. You may recognize his name as the guy who's been releasing a bunch of old concerts. Oh, right. You said on YouTube. This. Yeah. Yes. 
So that YouTube channel that like posts full shows from 2003 in like Chicago. Yeah. That's the director of Life on the Murder Scene. He's got tons of footage, tons and tons and tons, and he's still releasing it today. Yeah. Um, so thank you, Brad Nelson. Yeah. Clearly thank just a you. fucking friend yeah. of the band. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to give him a direct shout no, out. Oh, cool. Because yeah. he's still around and he's still doing cool shit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so there's a low fucking budget. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the editing. Let's do a little. Uh, let's do a film talk, guys. Oh. The editing of the movie is trying to convey something about the band. Mm-hmm. What's the editing doing? There's a lot of frenetic cuts. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of um, booming music. There's some funky little. There's a. There's a. There's a theme. There's a vision that's being created. Also, the font is a specific. Oh yeah, thing. the title cards. The title cards, yeah. like. Um, it's just really trying to convey a vision of this band, which is that they fucking go for it. <laughs> yeah. That they are busy. They're moving. Yeah. They're going somewhere. Right. Like it is, this had to be two hours long because right. like it's, it has, it keeps that frenetic energy up for an entire two hours. Yeah. And then they just like crazy. play, give them how kid on loop. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm not complaining, I know. but, um, I know I'm like, there are other songs on that album. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that 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 editing kind of I think structures it at a pace. Yeah, is very right. I don't know, powerful, forceful. Yeah, frenetic is a frenetic. Great word. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So like that's that's our intro. That's about that's what we know about documentaries. That's what we know. I kind of wanted to dig up like more theory about documentaries, but I yep. couldn't find it because I did not go to film school. Um, I'm sure we have some film folks listening. Hey, if you're a film folk and you're listening, (laughs) send us your articles about documentaries. Even if it's just like the title of the article, I'll track it down. Um, I took one film class in college and loved it. Yeah. But basically all I can reference theory-wise from that is the male gaze. And that's about Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Um, So please send over stuff that's relevant. We'll chat about it and read it, whatever. All of my film classes were in Spanish. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you about this. No. I, like, there were enough, like, I got to the level of Spanish where it's, like, and now you get to learn, like, you get to take fun classes, but they're just in Spanish. That's fun. Um, Which was really fun. And we just had a ton of people that wanted to teach about film. That's, so I that took, rules. like, That's cool. five film classes in Spanish. What the fuck? Yeah. That's so cool. Okay. <laughs> it was nice. very cool. Um. So I can talk about it in Spanish, and I was also just using theory that I learned in English to talk about it in Spanish. So totally. whatever. Um, yes, film folks, send us your stuff. Let's get into the actual content of the movie. What is this film about? What is it about? Should we also foresh- like uh uh what what's not foreshadowing? Pull pull back the curtain a little bit and say like we didn't watch this again for this episode. <laughs> that's true. We've we watched it a year ago. Um, yeah, that's true. When you had COVID. When I had COVID. Yeah. Oops. But from um, from an MCR show. Oops. Oops. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so it's been a minute. Um, but I think we've got quite a few bullet points. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, we're just gonna kind of talk about. You know, if a movie is trying to convey a narrative about something, Mm -hmm. right? If they're trying to craft a narrative about what this band is about, Mm -hmm. let's talk about what this band is saying that they're about. Yes. What is the narrative for this? What's the narrative? Mm -hmm. What are the themes they're conveying? Yes. There are so many. Themes. We literally, Mm -hmm. capital, themes that they create for themselves. Yeah. I feel like the one we should start with here is Gerard Way Addict. 
because that I think is that's true. the largest it overarching um, kind of occurrence yeah. in the film. So this film follows the band through a period where Gerard was really struggling with drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Um, really struggling with addiction. Um, and we see that very viscerally in this movie. Like, it's uncomfortable to watch. Yeah, it is. Um, someone who's doing so much better now have such a hard time then. Yeah, scary stuff. But that exists because this is a story about them getting better. Right, right, exactly. This is about overcoming that. Yeah. And we get to see them do that. Right. And really succeed. You know, we talked about the drug, sex, rock and roll of it all. This is so anti that. I mean, and we'll talk about that a little bit more um, with some other things in this, but specifically like the way that the drug and party and party culture is conveyed in this yeah. is very much like, it's really interesting because it's very much like Gerard is doing cocaine mm-hmm. and it's like, you're telling me Frank Iero wasn't doing cocaine. Yeah, they're all. I don't believe you. I they're all they doing. All. They're all doing yeah. drugs. We know that they're all doing drugs. It's a very funny way that they're trying to frame it, where mm-hmm. it's like this guy had a problem with it and then got better. Yeah. They're all partying. You can yeah. see them drinking and mm-hmm. whatever. Not in the way of like, we have a bunch of groupies and we're fucking with a bunch of groupies all the yeah. time because they're not those kinds of dudes. But they're drinking and they're hanging out and they're whatever, and you can see them doing it. Um, it is very distanced from the traditional masculinity, like drug, sex, yeah. rock and roll of it all. It's not romanticized. They're like really not romanticizing it. Mm-hmm. I think that that's like really what it is, is because they're focusing on Gerard's thing, yeah. like Gerard's addiction so much and Gerard's story so much that it becomes not romanticized at all, um, mm-hmm. which is interesting. It's a different, it's a, a, a take I think you don't often see. Yeah. Yeah. Because the drugs are part of that masculinity. They're part of right. that party culture. They're part of that. Like shaping that rock star, right? And we get to see that be part of Gerard's story in a different way and shape kind of a different rock star who still has the same kind of like staying power. And I think we had also mentioned like the rock and roll suicide of it all. Like that is a that is also a common trajectory, right? Right. Like these are folks who know that they are becoming famous in the wake of Kurt Cobain. Yeah. That hangs heavy, I think, over the entire rock scene for a very long time. Yeah. Um, and there's the part in in Life on the Murder scene where they're like, we don't want to become a, a, a behind the music. And then everything fell apart. And then everything yeah. fell apart. Yeah. yeah. They're very conscious of that trajectory for like not just Nirvana, but like for any rock band any rock band that happens often like that's the consequence of shaping that rock star right but you get famous and everyone wants to party with you and then things can go bad yeah gerard can we talk about this too the way gerard fucking just quit cold turkey oh my god that's can you like believe that shit like that uh, as an mcr lore like blows my fucking mind that's like like, so crazy to me like that's so fucking hard also like dangerous and hard (laughs) but they did it and were incredibly successful like the the whole lore of the i'm not okay music video like bob's not in it very much because that's his second day in the band yeah and gerard's been sober sober for a week for a week yeah like, all of those changes just happened, and now they're going to record an incredibly iconic music video. Like, fucking insane. Like, Literally yeah. insane. So many changes happened so fast, and they fucking rolled with it. 
and that's also, I mean, like maybe to connect to the freneticism a little bit, like there was so much upheaval. There was so much going on. There was like yeah. sudden trips around the country and sudden fame, like this right. like tumultuousness to the early days of MCR that yeah. the, I don't know, that Gerard getting sober is, is one of those things. Yeah. And I mean, yes, I think it's also important to note like the way Gerard's drug and alcohol use is framed in the film is as like Gerard could not play sober yeah Gerard can't be on stage sober specifically Mm -hmm. like Gerard in order to feel like they are performing on stage or they are doing the correct thing on stage has to be drunk or has to be high and then how it's displayed as like the band really came together once Gerard Mm -hmm. was sober or whatever yeah when we know that like the same was true for Mikey for many for, more years. For many yeah. more years. That's the thing is it's so interesting to like watch this both as like a really interesting narrative of Gerard's addiction because they really focus on Gerard. But mm-hmm. like we know that other members of this band have like specifically Mikey yeah. have substance abuse issues. Mm-hmm. I, you know, can't speak for Frank, but I'm sure that guy has yeah. has been whatever mm-hmm. was drinking, was partying, etc. I mean, you're trying to create the rock star. You're trying to create the front man. You're trying to create the front man. Yeah, this like specifically, yeah, specifically yeah. the front man. It matters to the front man. Yeah, you guys, we haven't talked about Bert McCracken a lot on this podcast. Now, who is Bert McCracken? <laughs> like, who? Hmm, I've heard that name a lot. Who's that? Can I tell you a story? Yeah. Um, one time I was playing. This is a very embarrassing story for me. Oh, one time I was, it's not, it's actually not embarrassing. I was just being stupid. Um, one time I was playing a game with like a bunch of people at my apartment. And one of those people is our friend. Um, is one of, we have a friend. We have a friend. I'm not going to say his name on this. And we were playing this game and I, we were playing this game called Werewolf or whatever, where you have to like think about a character. And I was like, I'm going to name my fisherman Robert McCracken. Not realizing... <laughs> That that is simply Burt McCracken's name. Mm-hmm. And our friend goes, like, the frontman for the used. And I went, what? I guess. <laughs> I don't I don't know him. I was like, but- oh, I don't know. <laughs> guess you, I'm, you're not convincing anyway. Literally, literally so embarrassing. Yeah. So, so Robert Ro- McCracken. So Burt, McCracken <laughs> so Burt McCracken is just kind of an old-timey fisherman. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't that sound coast. like an old-timey fisherman yes, name, though? it does. Yeah. Like, I'm sure that in the history of time, there have been yeah. many Robert McCrackens, and they've all been fishermen. All of them. But the first one to ever be the frontman for the used. <laughs> so, Burt McCracken, frontman for the used, um, toured with MCR a lot. The used yeah. and MCR went on tour together. Um, what was the first time they went on tour together? I, I think it was started. They started in Warped Tour, right? They met during Warped Tour. I Is that true? I think they met in like 2003. Yeah, which might be pre-Warped for MCR. And then they did Taste of Chaos. They did Taste of Chaos, and that's where things really. And then they yeah. like, and then they used notoriously dropped their management to work with Brian Schechter mm-hmm. so that they could hang out with MCR more. Yeah. So, and that worked. Um, Sure did. So they toured together a lot. They recorded a cover of Under Pressure together, which is great. I love that cover. It's good because they didn't change a lot about it and it's already a good song. Yeah. 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 And they both know they sound so good on it. And it's like, yeah. Bert and Gerard Gerard. hung out a lot. They, hey guys, they're really hanging out. They were really hanging out. We're making music together. What music were they making specifically, EJ? Um, you know. (laughs) <laughs> you know they didn't date but on the road they, 
musically were together. Oh, yeah. They, you know yeah. they were together in a musical sense? In a musical sense. They were That's together. what it is. Yeah, yeah. But also, notoriously, Burt McCracken was present oh, yes. when Gerard was writing You Know What They Do to Guys Like Us in Prison mm-hmm. or came up with that idea. He mm-hmm. wrote You Know What They Do to Guys Like Us in Prison about a night that he spent hanging out with Burt McCracken. So and then Bert and then Bert is on the song. Mm-hmm. Bert's screaming on the Bert's, yeah. on the track. Yeah, yeah. So musical collaboration on MCR's gayest song is that controversial? That is, you know what they do to guys like us in prison is, is there their a gayer gayest one? song? <laughs> I just don't think there's a gayer I don't, one. <laughs> I can't make a case. I can't make a case for any. I don't other think song that there's gayer. anything gayer than just two men as God had made us. Yeah. 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 There was something going on there. Yes. And notoriously also, they are partying together and drinking together. Yes. A lot. And doing drugs together. What was the term for them in the scene? The toxic twins. The toxic twins. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So they were not a good influence on one another. No. Um, at all. And Gerard's drug use and drinking got worse during this time. And yeah, it was it was not a good arrangement. Do we have any other Burt McCracken lore? No, I like that he's in the documentary. Yeah, and that he says I like the front man. Mm-hmm. Who is that? Jared. Jared. Yeah. <laughs> and then immediately a shot of him kissing Gerard. Yeah. A really Jared. great editing choice there. Genius. Genius editing. Very, hey Brad, glad that one made that the one, cut. That one was some great. Glad editing. that made the cut. Yeah. 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 Excellent choice. Yeah. So um, we know that their friendship deteriorated after Gerard got sober. Yeah. And after they started becoming more successful mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. than the used and like perhaps selling out. Yeah. Quote unquote yeah. selling out. Yeah. yeah. MCR would hate for us to say that. But well, they I'm, I'm, just, I'm speaking from Burt McCracken's perspective. Yes. Oh, yeah. Which uh-huh. I believe that. Bert felt that they were selling out. I think he might still feel that I way. I think he still feels that I way. I think he's still, judging by what he has said about yep. MCR yeah. in recent recent years, I think he still feels I that way. I think he does too. Another thing we can say about Bert McCracken, though, is that he's sober now. He um, is. Congrats, yeah, Bert. Congrats, Bert. Also, um, great stuff. Just seems like a lovely guy. Yeah, we saw the used. Um, and they're excellent. They were wonderful. Yeah. Had such a fun time. Yeah. Um, Glad that Bert McCracken is doing well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're all great, great dudes in that band. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I guess that's what we have to say about the mm-hmm. Burt McCracken of it all. That's the Burt McCracken. We realized we hadn't talked about Burt McCracken at yeah. all. Yeah, but he was there. He was there for a lot of it. Like for a lot of that, mm-hmm. that part of yeah. their career was really there. Mm-hmm. And they had a big falling out. Yeah. But they did and then one Burt McCracken, great interview. Burt McCracken. <laughs> yeah, they did. <laughs> and then Burt McCracken um, notoriously yelled at people not to see MCR from oh. a megaphone is this true I can know. i can someone fact check me i've seen this thrown a lot around a lot and then i can't find whether this is actually true but they really had a had an explosive falling out is all i'm saying so i guess that's what we have to have, have to what's that are you all right <laughs> that's burt mccracken that's burt mccracken in the context of this of this film yeah. so one thing we find out about this band from this film is that they just do not think about they're not fucking dicks to women yeah is one thing we find out at a time when a lot of people are being dicks to women and that i mean to go back to the narrative is because a certain 
archetypical rock star has right. been created that everybody wants to be. Yes. Right? And that archetypical archipelago um <laughs> archetypical rock star is shitty to women yeah so people are thinking that's cool and also people hate women and and want to fuck women at the same time so that too is a great combination yeah right also just like misogyny in general as a combo yeah 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 yeah. we've had some folks write in about this and then also just talk about this and we've talked about it a little bit too but i mean i think we're going to answer a question about this specifically um in what will be next episode yeah but you know Haley williams has talked a lot about coming up in this scene at the time and how it was really really fucking hard to be a woman front woman or whatever you know yeah. to be to be the head of a band at this time mm-hmm. was really really hard if you were a woman and is you know it's still hard it's now still, i'm sure yeah. um but it's so much less hard now i would say yeah um especially in the the scene quote unquote what right. it has become today is right. a lot more right like young women and queer people yeah, there's a ton who were excited about yeah. music like yeah, yeah yeah and we find out from this that they don't take shit from dudes who hate girls. Yeah. If shitty dudes line. and shitty rock bands want you to show show them your tits. For a backstage pass. To get a back backstage pass. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You finish it because I don't remember. You're going to spit in their fucking face and tell them, fuck you. Changed my life. Yeah. Changed my life. It's pretty fucking cool. As a fucking tween seeing like going into watching this just being like i'm just gonna watch this movie blah 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 and then seeing mm-hmm. seeing the front the front man of my favorite band say that i was yeah. like on stage yeah. say that on stage not just say it behind the scenes mm-hmm. say it fucking on stage in front of people yeah. where some dudes are gonna be like roll their fucking mm-hmm. eyes at you hell and yeah something i read about that specific scenario like there were specifically guys on that tour yep. who were show us your tits to get backstage oh yeah but another part of that was show us your tits to get backstage and, and you can will meet, let you meet gerard you can meet my chemical romance you can meet my chemical right romance. that's how it's that's how it's introduced yeah. in the movie oh it is okay. is like is gerard is like so we were on tour with these bands mm-hmm. and one of them was saying if you show us your tits for backstage passes, you can meet my chemical romance. And Gerard goes, I lost my cool. <laughs> um, he goes, I shit, I lost my cool. In this very New Jersey yeah. way. Love. Um, they they give a fuck about, about women, yeah. about young women in the scene. Yeah. And about they're not fans specifically. Right. And about yeah. not fucking treating people like they're goddamn objects mm-hmm. because they're coming to see you. Right. Now, like later, obviously, having like heard Gerard talk about like, the people who inspired him to do music, mm-hmm. namely people in Riot Girl, yeah. Fleeter Kinney, stuff like that, whatever. Mm-hmm. We know why, right? Yeah. Like, and also the transgenderism of it all. But like, so we know why these people, you know, these people like women and yeah. treat them like they're people. Yeah. Um, they like women in a way where like they actually like women. Right. Like they act like they. Like, like they're human. Like they treat them like people. Right. So that's like, a, I would say that's a, that's a theme of this. Is yeah. that like My Chemical Romance cares that you as a young girl mm-hmm. who may be watching this statistically yeah. probably you are a woman you're if you're watching yeah. it. Um, <laughs> you may not even be a woman right <laughs> maybe you were a girl before right exactly kind of just done your own slipped thing away like yeah. yeah um you can feel safe listening to this band mm-hmm. they end up playing with this a lot right where it's like if you don't want to see my chemical romance you wait outside for your girlfriend mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. like they play with this shit yeah where they know that fucking macho dudes don't want to see them and their girlfriends do yeah and then it's boys take your shirt off and then it's boys take your shirt off yeah 
beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, they really care about and respect their fans and treat them as people. Yeah, exactly. So this becomes one of the narratives they're like casting about themselves Mm -hmm. is that they give a fuck. They give a fuck about their fans. They want to save their fans lives. Mm -hmm. They give a fuck about who you are. Like, and they're also not going to be like, you know, they're not going to take advantage of you. Mm -hmm. They don't want to see your fucking tits for backstage passes. They want you to have fun at the show. And that includes being safe. Right. Right. That includes being safe, like, on a, like, sexual harassment level. And right. also just on a, like, if you fall down in the pit, yeah. Gerard's going to sh- stop the show. Right. Right? Like, there, there's yeah. th- that there's a level of care there. Yeah. And they don't want to fuck groupies. They want to play they D&D. Wanna, they want to play D&D. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it makes them all the more fuckable, which yeah. is just it's a tough. bad cycle. But I, I know. Oh, it's hard. I know. That's all right. Yeah. All right. What next? What's, what's the theme? New Jersey. New Jersey. The New Jersey of it all. The New Jersey of it all. New Jersey in this film is constructed as the grittiest, most dangerous <laughs> place in America. <laughs> On planet Earth, maybe. On even. planet Earth, maybe. There's just dead bodies laying around <laughs> that anyone could come across in New Jersey. Yeah. And like the way that they talk about it makes it seem way worse than it is so funny yeah these folks clearly have constructed their own assumptions about the place that they come from that well yeah i mean this is coming out of the like the war on war on drugs like new york city is a crime ridden whatever and like like, the deindustrialization of jersey as well right yeah it is so they come from a community that's working class Mm -hmm. like if y'all have driven through the part of where they're from in Jersey, like mm-hmm. that is a working class, a traditionally like working class neighborhood. Yeah. Newark is like not a wealthy city or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. And they lean into the Jersey of it all. Absolutely. I would say, especially the like the mob ties yeah. or yeah. whatever that Jersey has. Yeah. Cause they're Jersey Italian. So they got to lean into that. <laughs> yes. And lean into it. They do. Oh, they do. I mean, it's really like, Oh my God, they can't go outside ever. They can't play mm-hmm. in the park. There's dead bodies in the park. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. I mean, they're trying to frame themselves as a band that comes from a dangerous place. So they're right. a dangerous they're a band. band. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that, and they, they do that narrative very effectively. How did we see that they did this effectively? We saw that they did this effectively when we camped for New Jersey night one. Uh-huh. <laughs> and everyone was very, very nervous about sleeping on the streets of Jersey. Yeah, they were very scared more than in other, more places. than in other places. I mean, we didn't camp any other, but places, like we got but... there really, early and everybody seemed very chill about where they were sleeping oh yeah like we've not we did not seem to see the same level of concern expressed in any of the other places that we went to and guys it was the same actually no that's a lie there was some crazy shit that happened there was some crazy shit that happened (laughs) i was gonna say like i think part of that is maybe that something kind of crazy happened something kind of crazy happened but like it wasn't that could have happened anywhere yeah and we're talking about new jersey batman right the somebody was yelling at somebody for not giving them a cigarette and then somebody just zoomed by and tased Pepper spray? Them? no tased yeah tased them. just tased someone yeah yeah it was not in the queue someone who was harassing someone the who queue. was harassing the queue it, it was a weird night yeah but because the, of the narrative because yeah. of the narrative that too became part of the narrative right is jersey like- more dangerous than any other no is Newark more dangerous than any other major American city? No. No. No, it's not. Also, I have a take yes. about 
that fear in the line in Newark specifically. And I think that people were nervous about sleeping there because of racism. Mm -hmm. But that's just also my thought. You know, the area that we were in in Newark, there's a lot of black people that live in that area. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of black people around all the time. And I think that there it was a majority white line. And I think maybe people were experiencing discomfort because they were around a lot of black people. I don't know. I don't think that's a bad take. Yeah. I really don't think that's a bad take. And I'm also thinking about like, okay, the other places that we went. Yeah. Minneapolis, right? <laughs> Albany, yeah, are very white communities. Yeah, they are. Like we didn't queue anywhere. Yeah, that. other than Brooklyn, but we were in a part of Brooklyn we were that in was a like pretty schmancy part of Brooklyn. Yeah, so we weren't in as like majority black areas right. as Newark was. Right, that's a good take. I would yeah, say. yeah. It piles on. It it does. it, it, it yeah. layers. Uh, racism is one of many factors that make people afraid of New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, yeah. So they're talking about danger and they're talking about the places that they've been that are dangerous. I love the line where Jorah's talking about how he got out of the bus in front of, in the, um, in the Tenderloin. Oh, yeah. (laughs) In the skeleton onesie. Yeah. And somebody said, you better stay on that side of the street, motherfucker. I'll knock you out. (laughs) The way that he says it. Yeah. I'll I love knock you out. Knock you out. So Jer- like so Jersey. He's so Newark. His fucking accent is his so Newark in here. He still it still pops out sometimes, yeah. dude. It pops out. But it's so strong in this. It's like, so strong in this because he hasn't fucking left yeah. Jersey. Like yeah. yeah, yeah. Another big thing I would say the major thing mm-hmm. that this documentary is doing is it's introducing fans to the members of the band. So the band as a whole, but in order to do that, it is creating characters of the members of the band. Who are the characters? It's it's these guys. They're in the band together. It's the five guys. So it's introducing them. Mm -hmm. So much of what happens in this movie becomes canon for, Uh for fandom. Yeah. Becomes shared assumptions yeah that we as fans have about the members of this band yeah and about their personalities and yeah. what they're like yeah yes and the the little things that they do so like let's talk about it what are the intros for each of these people so it starts with mikey mikey way mikey yeah yeah so mikey's the kid brother the kid brother yeah kind of a string bean awkward yeah with glasses he's here for a good time he learned bass to hang out yeah and that's great yeah he's introduced as being a fucking nerd who wore the glasses at the end of his nose for a long time quiet a little odd which is funny because we know we know for a fact that like mikey way was partying at this point yeah and had connections and also was like definitely fucking like was was around was partying was fucking like i don't know where the adage um all of Warp Tour and half of Jersey comes from, but <laughs> literally, I though. do think about it all the time. Uh-huh. Yeah, Mikey was fucking, even though he looks like the least, the little brother. The yeah, li- he looks like the little brother, which is how he's framed in this yeah. as the little brother, mm-hmm. and that definitely like continues into like fan lore about yeah. him, right? Yeah. Where it's like Mikey way awkward knees, like mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. I don't know. Ray also a nerd. The man with the plan. The man with the plan, though. He's he's the quiet mastermind. The quiet mastermind. Yeah. He doesn't like to party very much. He wants to go back and he wants to work on his music. He wants <laughs> to sit in his childhood bedroom with his three laptops open <laughs> on his bed with his, his Pokemon stuffed animals, stuffed animals um, and the poster of himself on his wall. I love Ray Toro. I love Ray Toro. So, like, yeah, Ray's, Ray's just a little guy. But yeah. he's 
a genius. But he's a genius. And that is made clear. Yeah. Um, Gerard, we obviously see tragic hero. Yep. Um, his narrative is the whole narrative of the film. And then Frank Iero throwing himself on the fucking ground. Yeah. Throwing himself on the fucking mm-hmm. ground. Frank in seeing Frank in this film, I was, you guys don't know this about me. I am. I was such a Frank bitch for most yeah, of my life. Were. For most of my mm-hmm. life. I was like the biggest Frank guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm less now. Yeah. But like Frank, was my favorite member of the band for my whole life when I saw them in 2011. Mm-hmm. I was on Frank's side specifically because I wanted to be on Frank's side. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, and a big reason for that is because of the stuff that's built off of Life on the Murder mm-hmm. Scene, right? He's frenetic. He throws himself on the ground. He runs around this. He gives his fucking... He's the heart. He's the heart. He's the heart. Yeah. It's not just his stage presence. It's also he was the first fan. He was the first fan. He was he the was, first he person committed, who was this passionate he, right, about Right. He committed to the fucking bit. He yeah. got the tattoo on his neck. Like, we get so much, mm-hmm. like, lore about Frank in this yeah. where you're like, wow, that guy is, like... That guy cares a he lot. He loves this band. Yeah. 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 And you kind of you get to kind of see yourself in him. Yeah. Which is That's so really true. fun. Yeah. To be like I love MCR as much as somebody who's in the band. Yeah. That's special. Yeah. And it is. I yeah, it, he's the heart. Yeah. He's, he's the, the heart. heart. He's the beating heart. Yeah. And then Bob plays the bongos and that's great. Ba 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 ba. Yeah. <laughs> um great editing hey brad great editing literally great i know i'm thinking of like what else in this i mean also just like in general um like all the lines from this that just became like i think that they're not as popular anymore because we have so much like content around we've got so much new stuff but like when i started listening everyone was like this shit is easy peasy pumpkin peasy pumpkin pumpkin pie pie, motherfucker motherfucker. like that was everything like that was everything you know Mm -hmm. what i'm saying like like shit Ray like puts that. his hand in, in the a cupcake. cupcake right yes all of that shit mm-hmm. was like so many people you follow them wherever yeah and they've got that as their bio on like a fan forum or mm-hmm. whatever you know yeah like that shit was huge was massive really also filtered into yeah so like fan forums filtered into fan conversations filtered into fan fiction so yeah yeah it's it is it is such a an in-depth look at, at the band yeah that it it just forms assumptions that you have about these people right. even though they may be doing different things with their lives today or have right. i don't know you you just latch on to little things that happen during a certain time period and then those become true about yeah they become caricatures kind yeah. of yeah yeah they do yeah when they're real guys we dudes. don't we don't know that much about actually right it's like none of their personal lives are talked about at all unless yeah. of course yeah yeah i mean this was a huge it's a we know that it's a huge thing for fans but it was a huge thing for fans it's it's the text it's the required text now but yeah. it's not as much of a huge thing now because we have so much now i feel we mm-hmm. have more interviews we have more whatever like there's so much to look at and read and right. archive and focus on and whatever and like at this point like, this was before these guys were, like, really on social media. And so you don't have Gerard's tweets. You don't have, like, any of their, like, internal right. thoughts at all, really, yeah. other than in interviews. Yeah. So, like, it was huge. It was a huge thing to have. Like, And even then, like, being able to find 
interviews. You right. had to go to the store and purchase a magazine or, I mean, and turn yeah. to page 14. Right. Yeah. right? Like the. Yeah. Before YouTube. Before and then YouTube. And then YouTube yeah. And but, then there was YouTube. Yeah. But like YouTube wasn't as widespread or popular. So I think like it, it is a common text because we didn't have as many common texts back then. Yeah. And totally. the internet wasn't built the way that it's built right now. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's definitely true. We're back. We had an apple crumble break. My beautiful partner, <laughs> like, ooh, <laughs> made the most delightful apple crisp. And we took a little podcast break to just have a little apple crisp. So good. A little happy crisp. Delicious. This hey, really I have a personal good. question for you. Yeah, what's up? Have you used my bidet yet? No, I haven't because I can't figure out how to use it. Oh, I'll show you. It doesn't shoot up. Oh. Every time I've tried to use it, it has gone straight oh no which is not where <laughs> where the butt is my butt is <laughs> well you can angle it i'll i'll explain I tr- it to you i tried i got it i got a bit, <laughs> I, really I also tried. that's the other exciting update about yeah. my life is i got a bidet man's got a bidet which is great for me fancy i'm happy for you thank you i i took a huge shit the other day and i was like <laughs> damn i wish i had a bidet even though Dude, i've never actually used here's one the but thing. i was like i feel like this is what it's for here's the thing let me tell you something. This is a little bit personal for the pod, but That's I'm going right. to tell you anyway. Yeah, my butthole is so stoked that I have a bidet. <laughs> <laughs> like, r- like really big time. Like, wow. Anytime I have to go anywhere where I have to use rough toilet paper, like any kind of toilet paper, like yeah. rough toilet paper, I'm like, this is torture. This is medieval mm-hmm. torture. Like, yeah. My quality of life has been so significantly improved by purchasing my own toilet paper. Oh, and that not too. being yes. subjected to like college toilet paper God. or like work toilet paper, which is always like it's two ply, but barely. Like, would you like to like wipe your ass with like a sheet of copy paper, basically? No. Yeah. yeah at that point, you just pull a piece of paper out of the printer, and right, it exactly. will be more comfortable. It will. No, I'm a cottonelle bitch, and I love, I love good toilet paper. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Well, anyway, I love my bidet. I very much recommend mm-hmm. people people get one if they have. You gotta show a, me how to use it. If you it. have a hundred extra bucks, buy a bidet. It probably it probably saves you on toilet paper too, dude. We have like not used like any toilet paper at all That's since crazy. we have not bought more toilet paper since we moved in. That's great. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, this okay. is my pitch. after the pod. Marin's gonna show me how the bidet works. Yeah, I know exactly. If you're like from Europe, you're like what? <laughs> because like it's so much more. Common yeah, we're in over in, in the states, just Dude, like the United absolutely States, absolutely shoveling shit off our own asses, <laughs> like cavemen. The United States uses the most toilet paper of any country in the world. Is that real? Yes. Oh no, it's so bad. We shit so hard here, guys. <laughs> we shit on like anyone it's you've so ever seen. It's so bad. It's so bad. So anyway. Back to my chemical romance. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for the like poop detour. It's not that much of a detour from my chemical romance. How how do you argue? I just it's a rather scatological band. At times. What? <laughs> I'm it's not that big of a jump from Gerard's piss kink, is what I'm saying, Marin. Oh, I it's guess. what I'm talking about. I it's guess. bathroom stuff. Sure, yeah. yeah. I mean I would whatever. <laughs> oh, you don't you don't agree? That's I mean, fine. I I'm out like, here with my controversial I opinion. I wouldn't inherently connect like butthole pain from wiping your ass to like Gerard Way piss cake. But I love the way your mind works. I'm just saying bathroom. <laughs> That's the common thread. And bathroom. it's not that. Guys, get in the comments. Defend my honor from Marin. I know you've got my back. No, I just, you're a prophet. You're at it. You're, <laughs> you're clearly seeing something I'm not. I love it. So. 
the thing we were going to talk about next is the music industry. The music industry of it all. So, as we mentioned earlier, the music industry is what has made this film possible, right? Right. Like, you don't have the budget to edit and release a two-hour film without... As a new band. As a new band. Like, this is pre-Revenge. Like they it was very recently like touring in a tiny trailer that you towed on the back of a of a yeah. of a white band. And like <laughs> is for like the first half of right. this. Like the warp tour tour bus days are are still in their future, right? Like this is very early. But they're starting to get they get signed to Warner and they get a little bit more money and that makes this possible. Right. So the music industry is also like featured quite heavily in the film and we get to see this band interact with Howard Benson yeah and with Craig Anson yeah icons icons (laughs) who yeah then you know come to be known pretty widely by the fandom Frank hates Howard Benson I forgot about how strong that is Frank has like such a thinly veiled animosity towards Howard Benson in this movie fucking stand Howard Benson yeah yeah and, like, Howard Benson teaches them how to write a chorus. Yeah. Which he does a good job of because then they write Listen, some fucking bangers. They, they wrote some bangers because yeah. of that guy. Yeah. Yeah. You see their their musical style change a little bit. Right. Because of that music industry interaction. Yeah. Totally. No. I mean, it's definitely an interesting, like, commentary on, like, how bands at this time, but then, like, just bands in the in music industry in general are, like... It's like a look inside, do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, here is how, like, being a band on a major recording label, like, changes the way your music sounds, you know? Like, there's a discernible difference between songs on Revenge and songs on Bullets, which is that Bullets had sprawling song structure, mm-hmm. song structure, six minute songs, song structures, yeah, like, that often didn't make sense, yeah, or, like, made sense for, for, for those who like, are in the know. Those um, of us who are, like, smart and cool. Right. Fucking love the vampires. But didn't make song structure. Money. If they had kept yeah. making songs like were on bullets, I'm sure they would have had, you know, a career, but it would have been different, a different career. The reason why they exploded is because of songs that were drastically changed by working with Howard Benson. This is a little tangential, but what we're touching on is the difference between MCR and Thursday. I was about to say they would have had a career more like Thursday. They would have had a career more like Thursday. Thursday, who was very dedicated to keeping their artistic integrity, yeah. like in not and that MCR lost artistic integrity. Oh right. my god! But like they wanted to write songs the way they wanted to write yeah. songs. They did not want as much music industry interference right. as MCR had. Yeah, it's like this Thursday cemented the sound of this scene. Yeah, and yes. then MCR profited off of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's just kind of true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. That's really real. And I'm glad that Thursday's still around so we can, like, pay our Appreciate dividends. Appreciate Jeff Brickley. Yeah. I know. Yeah. We also wanted to talk about how subculture is formed. Yeah. Or I wanted to talk about that a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Because you see that happening across the course of, of Life on the Murder Scene. You mm-hmm. see it happening where it's like, okay, revenge comes out. Revenge popularizes this kind of, like, goth style like this like the use of gothic aesthetics in this genre of music like the reason why people think of emo as like of third wave emo as like people who are wearing eyeliner and wearing red and black and wearing makeup is because of my chemical romance and is specifically because of the music video for helena 
So you can kind of see the way that this subculture is starting to form, right? Yeah. You start seeing fans having their photos taken at shows who are dressed certain mm-hmm. ways, who are doing Gerard's like eye bar, the yeah. black eye bar or whatever, who are wearing certain outfits, who are whatever. It becomes an aesthetic. Yeah. It becomes a look. They're yeah. making a look. It's You're seeing a subculture form. Mm-hmm. Like you're watching a subculture form around that was started by bands like Thursday and like whatever sunny day real estate and yeah. stuff like that but those that guys has been didn't dress like that right it's become there's a look now it's become marketable so like you can dress a certain way and people know what music you're listening to it's the forming of a subculture in the yeah. way that like punk formed or whatever mm-hmm. where you see somebody with fucking you know Susie makeup yeah right you see somebody with a mohawk yeah. and you're like something's going on there mm-hmm. right so yeah I, I i can identify by what you look like what you like exactly yeah yeah which is like the first time that this is happening in this scene like previous mm, to this mm-hmm. like prior to this dudes who listened to emo or anybody who just who listened to emo kind of just dressed like guys yeah you know there wasn't like a look for it mm-hmm. like any of the guys in like second wave emo or whatever are kind of just wearing whatever yeah you know they're wearing t-shirts and jeans and shit like if you look at videos of early MCR shows, like what does the crowd look like? Yeah, totally it's different. Dudes in jeans and t-shirts. Yes. Yeah. And like if you like same thing with like old Thursday videos, which oh my god, if you've not seen like a 2002 Thursday show, wow, fun, yeah. fucking cool. Um, but yeah, like this, the the all black look is not happening yet. Right. And then Revenge is dropped. And holy shit, it's happening. And the music videos come out, and there is a look. Yeah, there's a look. There's a costume that you can put on that, yeah. like, kind of, like, slides you in, in a way. Yeah, exactly. That's really cool. Yeah, so you're watching the subculture form, and you're watching it also be used by the music industry. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We also wanted to talk a little bit about... I mean, I think I've talked before a little bit about how, like, I feel like MCR was happening at the same time that a lot of new internet stuff was happening. Yeah. And that they shaped fan culture in like in online spaces in a foundational and fundamental way that we still yes. like right. sit and live with today. Yeah, third wave emo was happening because of MySpace. Yeah. Like that's why that yeah. the subculture is sprouting. Yeah. And, and like, popularizing. Yeah. And specifically like internationally. Yep. Right? That it was not possible to hear of a band from the U.S. that hadn't toured in the U.K. until the internet, right? Yeah. Or unless, like, your cool cousin brought you a CD back yeah, or something, right. right? Like, you could find out about music in other places because of the internet. Yeah. Um, and then you could talk about it and bond with people who maybe live really, really far away from you. Yeah. And for a band that is so focused on supporting people who don't fit in yeah having the internet there as well to connect you with other people who don't fit in yeah like that's how you can make a community out of something like that like a legitimate community also like mcr is getting into the music industry and like specifically like warner brothers right getting into warner brothers around the time when like the music video is popping off yeah like as an art form the music Mm -hmm. video as an art form is popping off in the early 2000s in a way that like you know obviously people had music videos for other things but like the music video of the early 2000s had fucking budget dude Mm -hmm. all of a sudden music videos had budgets and music videos were really important right because of 
MTV. MTV. Because of MTV. <laughs> which was also, like, I would say the, the driving forces for, like, making MCR into the band that it was for fans and also, like, blowing them up. Yeah. A, them getting a recording contract, obviously, and working with Warner Brothers specifically. B, MySpace and the internet. C, the fucking MTVification of this time yeah. period, right? That, like, their music videos were on MTV mm-hmm. a lot. Their music videos were made to be played played. on Mm -hmm. MTV. And people were watching MTV. Right. Like, I do, in fact, remember getting up in the morning and watching MTV before I went to school. Me too, yeah. Like, I, what a time. Yeah. So many years ago. Yeah. But, like, that, it was something that people just did every day. Yeah, or watching, like, the best music videos of the week kind of recaps shit. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, totally. And I was also, I mean, like, we, we put this in a broader category about MySpace, but, like, as a social media, MySpace was very music focused. Yeah, that's super true. Like, you could put music on your page. Which was huge. There were, like, free downloads right. that you would have on, on MySpace. Yeah. Like, it was about music in a way that other social media is not at all. Yes, totally. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. That was no, another way that they were promoted. Well, that's the thing is it's, like, all the social media that's popping off at this time. So, like, MySpace and then YouTube in mm-hmm. 2005. Yep. YouTube started as a music video site. Mm-hmm. Like, that is the reason why people started like that's the initial reason i think why a lot of people started using youtube is a just to whatever post your videos but like early youtube there's not a lot of shit on there until people started using it for for music videos Mm -hmm. and like you used to just be able to like put a song up there yeah you could make as uh, at age nine i believe i was making fallout boy lyric videos which were like stayed up there for several years until they were taken down like Music copyright was oh, not yeah. happening 100%. in the same way on the internet. It was the fucking Wild West. It and was. You could just put out music that you liked yeah. on the internet. Yeah. Because maybe that group didn't have a YouTube page yet. Right. Anyway, old internet. Very cool. Very <laughs> Love internet cool. history. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like we were like, you know, YouTube popped up in 2005. Mm-hmm. So I was seven eight i was eight mm-hmm. can i do math no i was eight years old i was 10 yeah so like we it's so interesting to be this age because it's like we really remember like these things starting to yeah. happen right yeah like we remember things like mtv and mm-hmm. then also remember like the start of youtube and shit yeah. like that like very very early youtube or at least i do um remember like very early youtube yeah. and stuff um and like that's how I got into MCR is through mm-hmm. YouTube. It's wacky. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, it just made it so easy for you to like not just listen to music, but to get a vibe for the bands that you liked. Yeah. Like, what do they look like? What do they act like? Like that was so different. Yeah. MTV. MTV really made MCR. I mean, yeah. it's the first like TV performance they did was for MTV and shit. You know. So. Oh man. No. <laughs> Hey, you're making editing so bad for me right now. If you don't hear from EJ again, it's because they're dead and I killed them. <laughs> you better leave that in. <laughs> okay. So people know <laughs> to look for my fucking body, <laughs> Marin. So one awesome thing about life on the murder scene is that it is happening right before MCR gets even bigger and that they've got so many other cool things in store that we as listeners know about yeah but 
like it's not even fully formed for Gerard yet. It's not even fully formed for anyone in the band yet. But you're starting to see. Yeah. I mean, hearing them talk about like the first time that they had like police escorts or whatever. I'm Mm -hmm. like, dude, just you fucking wait. You're about to you're about to get thrown in with the wolves. Yeah. It's going to be absolutely crazy for you. I believe that the song that they preview is I don't love you. Yeah, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So we hear we hear an early version of I don't love you. Um, They talk about recording in the back of the van. And then we also see these amazing elements of theatricality. Yeah. So at the very end of Life on the Murder Scene, um, you see them parading a coffin through the streets of which London, I which sick. I love. It's so cool. And like, imagine being a fan camping out for that show. Yeah, right. And then a funeral procession goes by. I would have shit my pants. I don't um, think they were camping, though, at that point. Yeah, right. No, I guess. I don't know. Just hanging out, lining yeah. up. But there were there were fans around, right? Like Yeah, there were. The yeah, yeah. People, people were the, lining up, yeah. The like live performances, like the Helena dancers. It doesn't work. I love Let it. Let me tell you guys. I love it. Let me tell you guys. It doesn't work, but we applaud them for trying and they did do better things because of it. Gerard Way yeah. realized I'm gonna do the work. Right. And then we got infinitely better because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The theatricality needs to be me kissing my bandmate on the mouth. On the lips, right on the stage. And it works. And it worked, and, and it, it works. It works great. It Live on the murder scene is so satisfying to watch because you get all of the good of the music industry with none of the bad. That's so like, true. It it does leave a bad taste in Frank's mouth. However, yeah, very clearly, like, yeah. the you get to see fame be exciting and to take these guys in uh, new directions, to take them around the world, to help them grow, like... Warner Brothers has done great things for them and they're taking off and they're not bitter about it yet. They haven't been wronged by it yet. They haven't felt creative control slip away from them yet. And they won't for several more years. And that's great. But knowing what we know now, it's so satisfying to rewatch this because you just get to see the good parts. Yeah. Yeah. And then they get dragged through the mud. Yeah. 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 It's tough. We've talked about this before, I think, about how the cultural conversation around the Black Parade specifically has come way full circle. How like when it first came out, it was like it was exciting, but people fucking hated it. Also, it was cool to hate My Chemical Romance because they weren't masked. They weren't like, yeah, they weren't big dudes. It was cool to fucking hate the Black Parade when it came out for dudes who liked music or whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, they went on tour with Linkin Park. Really like, I mean, since they broke up, I would say, but specifically in the last five Mm -hmm. to eight years. Have we seen people being like, hey, the Black Parade is like one of the best albums of the two of the 2000s? Yeah. Like watching them get their flowers. Pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, But specifically because of the theatricality of it. You know, they got their footing with it. Like they they were doing some theatricality stuff during Revenge, but they really like leaned way the fuck into it. And like it, I mean, it paid off then. But like, I don't think they like fully saw like the rewards for that until recently Mm -hmm. or like how people respond to that yeah yeah fully like fully until recently like things like that take time right like they necessarily have to but i know that they have talked about like knowing that they needed to go so big that it almost felt impossible yeah to do that album and then they did and they executed it and they did not flop and they did not overpromise. yeah like 
it is that big of an album. It is that sweeping of a project that yeah. like they knew what they were doing and they did it well. My Chemical Romance, I think in general is a no skip band, but yeah. the Black Parade, that's a no skip album baby that's an album where you need to carve out 45 minutes to sit down and listen to it it's like, like yeah yeah it's it's a fucking album like we don't yeah it's have, like a project like there are still bands that are making fantastic albums right but that's not what the music industry is centered on anymore no like there's also not a lot of rock operas just yeah. in general like yeah. i mean People don't do, like, a rock opera a lot, you But know? also because, like, the investment isn't there. Right, Like, yeah. I'm sure, I mean... Like, there's a lot of great concept albums since then. There's not a lot of specifically rock operas. Yeah. So, what else about the future? What else about the future? Um, oh, we see Umbrella Academy stuff. Yeah. We see, um, yeah, just stuff that has not been released yet. We get little previews about it. And that's really exciting now seeing it as a fucking Netflix show. Um, do you want to talk about Jeff Rickley? I do. I wanted to talk about it a little bit because Jeff Rickley recently had a Stereo Gum interview. Mm-hmm. Which was really good. Jeff Rickley is just a fascinating man. Yeah. Just an incredibly mm-hmm. fascinating person. Has some fucking insane stories. He will talk about shit and you're like, sorry, what happened to you? Yeah. Like how he was like sued by the United Nations. Uh-huh. The, the, actual, the actual United, United Na- Nations. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Because he's in a band. United Nations. <laughs> yeah. Sued by the United Nations and won. And That's won. That's the other Because they gave up. There. <laughs> the, the UN gave up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just like several uh, instances where Jeff Rickley could have died and did not somehow. Yeah. Um, fascinating. Fascinating life. Very excited to read his book soon. Yeah. Stoked mm-hmm. to read it. Can you control F, Gerard? <laughs> Yes, but he was saying other things too. Not to be like a huge computer nerd, like not to be like. No, I just wanted to a say programmer. It specifically was not Ger- the Gerard thing that I think I was going to talk about. I mean, it was, okay. but I mean, it's relevant to this, to this podcast in general yes. about document, yeah. uh-huh. like about documentaries, mm-hmm. because he's talking a ton about like how to portray. In some parts of this, just like events, kind of from his real life, You're right? Yeah, at, that are in a fictional way, so mm-hmm. it's like him, but not him, mm-hmm. which is like. The writers struggle, I think. The mm-hmm. artists struggle, right? It's why we are often like, you have to say the speaker, even if you think for sure that it is the person who has written it who is talking. Yeah. You say the speaker instead of, so you said this. You know, that's how you do like <laughs> anyone who's been in like creative writing criticism classes knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. But like, yeah, like he talks about this a bit and about like how to build a band memoir, how to write a memoir, how to like write fiction versus. Um, reality how to whatever mm-hmm. just really interesting um but he also because of the nature of how he is in the scene and how he worked with my chemical romance talks about my chemical romance in this interview so let's find it okay yeah there's a section about producing bullets which is what he is most known for in the mcr fandom even though he should be known for there's so many other things so many other things oh. um so please go read this interview because mm-hmm. it's fascinating and he's a fascinating we'll guy. We'll share a link. Yeah, that's a great mm-hmm. idea. Yeah, I mean, he's saying here like a lot of people find out about Thursday because of their involvement with mm-hmm. his involvement with MCR, yeah. which is, to be fair, that's how, how I, I found, found about Thursday. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so there and you go. And I'm glad I did because yeah. Thursday's so good. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah. He compares them to Nirvana and Sonic Youth. Jesus Christ. Which is funny about how like Sonic Youth having an association with Nirvana. Yeah. Like uh-huh. introduced people to Sonic Youth, even though they were a much less like palatable band. Mm-hmm. 
which I think is appropriate yeah. for their description. Mm-hmm. But he says, the experience of working with them was so exciting because I watched them go from bumbling kids with some promise to me lying on the floor recording the last song on the record and having a vision of what their future would be. I knew without a doubt they'd be massive. It was so strange. It was almost like when I think about it, time is a construct and there's ways to see through time because I fucking saw it. I was telling Mikey way and he thought I was just very encouraging. He's like, you don't think we'll ever be as big as Thursday, do you? I was like, you're going to be so much bigger than Thursday. You're going to be, we're going to be opening for you in stadiums. That literally happened. And we were there. And we were there. And Um, we saw it. The conversation about this band is just full of visions yeah what is it with people who lived in new jersey in the early 2000s being plagued by visions what's going on yes one is a coincidence two is a pattern yeah so then jeff says um the interviewer great interviewer by the way Mm -hmm. um says they feel like one of those bands that are just constantly getting rediscovered even when they were inactive they were cultivating this huge following And Jeff says, I think they changed a lot of music in the scene, but also they anticipated in a way that nobody would have seen the way culture in general would change. Sexually fluid comic book characters mixed with old classic rock. They managed to see where K-pop would go and where so many different things would go, and they didn't know they were seeing the future either. They were just instinctively drawn to it. It's just made it so the kids keep on finding them, not because it's the power of emo. They are just on a whole different level, even the way that... Gerard's friendship with Frank became a sexy fan fiction. Forgot he fucking said that. Every possible thing that could go that way did, and they nailed it. So much bigger than their music. It's not just the music. It's not one song. It's this whole thing, this whole lifestyle. So interesting. Yeah, Jeff. It's yeah. a real well, it's a really interesting way to frame them as like that Gerard and Ray specifically, the way that they specifically are like being like, here's what's gonna here's the stuff that we like. And that we think should be in the future. And here's how people are going to respond to it. And just like being ahead of it. They were just fucking ahead of a curve. Yeah. Which is cool to hear that like. Hear someone like Jeff Rickley talk about this now. Mm-hmm. And being like oh my god. Like it felt this way then. Yeah. You know. That's insane. Man thank you Jeff. Thank you for your service. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to read from that interview. But go read the interview. Read that interview. It's called We've Got a File on You. We will post a link. It's so fucking good. Anyway. So anyway My Chemical Romance saw the future. Yeah. And in the future, they were the band. So good. My Chemical Romance saw the future. In the future, they were a band so good. In the future, there were continuing to be sexually fluid rock stars. Mm-hmm. In the future, music was sexy. Rock music was sexy. And it was gender bending and it was queer. Mm-hmm. And in the future, they were alive. And that is all true. Ah. <laughs> And it was about supporting and protecting fans and creating communities that support and protect each other. Yeah. How fucking hot is that? It's hot. It's sexy. It's hot as fuck. It's so hot. So to to draw it together, this band. Uh, Life on the Murder Scene is a really important cultural document that gives us a glimpse into a certain time and place for MCR. And it's so cool to watch from a place where you know where they're going to go. Yeah. And you see all of those little things forming. You see so much like promise and potential not acted on yet. Yeah. And like just in its infancy. Yeah. And there's so much excitement. Like when someone hugs Frank and he's just like shell shocked when they hear how much uh, they sold for revenge on the first release. Like that moment, like they have not wrapped their heads around how successful they're going to be. Yeah, no, Gerard. Gerard hugs Frank. Yes, and Frank is Gerard, just like, and, Fra- and Frank is like unable to move. Yeah. He's so stunned. Yeah. yeah. So it's crazy and it's 
just such fandom required reading. Yeah. Because it points out so many things that are absolutely essential about this band and have become like fandom touchstones for better or worse. Yeah. That, um, we'll share. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's so cool to have like, like that moment you're talking about. It's so cool to have like filmed footage of something like the first day they know that something big is happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy to have footage of that show. And it's really cool that we do. Mm Um, so that's life on the murder scene that's life on the murder scene tell us your thoughts yeah if we didn't talk about something yeah. that you wanted us to talk about or like a point that you think we should chat about let us know you guys have good ideas mm-hmm. and see things we don't see sometimes so yeah. please let us know or tell us your favorite parts from it and why or whatever yeah, you know talk about them we love to talk mm-hmm. about it so what is what's your favorite part from this my favorite part from life on the murder scene um i mean i love all the early tour footage just yeah. any of the tour footage, mm-hmm. right? Any of them, like, in their fucking band, like, when mm-hmm. they're, like, broken down near a cornfield or, like, yeah, whatever. Like, I really like all of that stuff. I like the the Diet Coke arrow pointing. Oh, <laughs> yes. The Diet Coke arrow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, like I love Coke to see, I love to see Frank fucking play. Yeah. Frank rips. Mm-hmm. He really rips. Yeah. He really throws himself all over the fucking place. Yeah. Which, yeah. Yeah. Which, like, dude, no wonder all of your fucking bones hurt now. Yeah, man. No wonder. I really wonder how that happens. Yeah, no wonder. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's mine. What about yeah. you? Um, I love finding out how much they sold in the first week for revenge. Uh. Um, and I love, um, oh, uh, Ray and Gerard singing the Venom mm-hmm. chorus together. Because you can hear Ray so clearly. And it's perfect and their Gerard's, blend insane their blends insane gerard is covered in blood there's blood on the walls so funny. and they sound like <laughs> fucking angels yeah i love it yeah, that's yeah. one of my favorite yeah. parts well that's what i've got to say about life on the mer- do we like close the episode here should, so yeah. should we say other th- like do you have any other things that you want to say about your oh, yeah. life or the universe I, don't know. I have something that's kind of relevant that i can kick off with and then if you want to vibe it. off of it I fell into a Wikipedia hole last night Ooh. about Susie Sue. Oh, tell me more. Do you know much about Susie Sue's background? Like, not at all. That's very exciting. Okay. okay. So, Susie um, followed the Sex Pistols. No fucking way. She was... Okay, you know yeah. who else started a band because of the Sex Pistols? Who? X-Ray Specs? Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah, fucking... What's her okay. face? What's her face? Um, Polystyrene. Fucking Polystyrene started a band because she was seeing the Sex Pistols a lot, and she was like, I can fucking do that. Uh, okay, so that's where Susie and the Banshees also came what from. What the hell? But, like, so she and, like, several other people followed them around, and she was the one who was doing her makeup like that first. And everybody else copied her, right? <laughs> so she's the, like, scene trendsetter for early goth in a very, very fundamental way, right? But then there's also this very old video from, like, I don't remember what date it was from, where it's an early TV interview. It must be, like, 78 or something with um, with the Sex Pistols. So they're drunk out of their mind. The yeah. interviewer is drunk out of his mind. Yeah, everyone's fucked. Everyone's <laughs> fucked. Yeah. Um, and they're kind of like quipping back and forth. One of the Sex Pistols swears. I don't know the members of this band. I'm not a Sex Pistols nerd, whatever. But um, one of them swears, which was a big no-no on British TV back oh, in the yeah. day. And it was like during an hour where it was like the first time anyone had swore like that on <laughs> broadcast television. 
So the interviewer kind of starts quipping back at them. And um, then he says something to Susie and she's like, oh, I'm really just excited to see you here. Um, And then he like kind of starts flirting with her. And then the sex pistols start yelling at this interviewer, like, how fucking dare you? You're being such a creep right now, dude. Like, on air live. Like, No way. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, Wow. That's crazy, because the sex pistols are notoriously not known for being, like, super cool dudes. No, yeah, exactly. But they stood up for Susie. Nice. um, And she was just following the band. That's awesome. She was just a fan who was also on stage during this interview. No, we way. should watch this. Wait, after that's this. Like really, it's crazy. That's really, really cool. Um, I had no idea. Yeah. Damn. So, and then she went on to do band. Right. This is what I'm saying. This shit. is what I'm saying. Is it's like, if you ever feel like you should start a band, that's what My Chemical Romance wants you to do, yeah. motherfucker. Yeah. That's what they want you to do. Start a band. Start a fucking band. Play some music. Yeah. So that's I. That's your Susie trivia. She, that's so cool. Susie. Susie Sue, just like us. Like, literally, right? Literally just like us. Yeah. I went down a very different Wikipedia hole the other day that doesn't have anything to do with my chemical romance or the music industry. Tell me about it. I went down a music... <laughs> I went down a Wikipedia hole about the London Underground. Ooh. Okay. Susie, London, UK <laughs> connection. Wonderful. Because yeah. um, the London Underground... Because my partner is in Glasgow. Glasgow has the third oldest subway system in the world. Or at least in Europe. I want to know where the other ones are. So... The third is Glasgow. The second is Budapest. Oh. And the first is the London Underground. The London cool. Underground is the, is oldest, the oldest. Yeah. Is the oldest subway system. Mm-hmm. Um, or the, yeah, the oldest underground, like, transportation mm-hmm. system or whatever. When they started building it, they started building it in, like, 1860-something. Jesus Christ. They fucking, like, they had, like, horses and shit oh still. Oh, my God. Like, yeah, like, it started out being, like, we're kind of, like, going underground with, like, kind of like still horses around here the horses had to drill the holes <laughs> no is that what you're telling no. me <laughs> horses I mean, drilled no like holes? like probably like oh probably God. because like i mean everything wasn't automated in the way it is now yeah. i mean there was like steam power probably and like it was the start of the industrial revolution or around the time of the industrial but revolution early. but fucking like pretty like pretty early um yeah so like they're they're going down there just with like their little vehicles um and like their little vehicles like imagine people in like early like 1900s wearing early 1900s clothing getting on a subway that moves underground that is automated underground like they like automated the london underground to like run through like automation steam Mm -hmm. stuff i think probably okay yeah in like the early 1900s it is so crazy i'm not remembering i'm not remembering all these details but it's like pretty fucking insane anyway i also went into a hole about gay bars in London, like old gay bars. Oh. One of them is called the some the cult of the golden calf or something. Like the ca- no, the cave of the golden calf. Oh, I love that. Which is like it's described as being like um, Oscar Wilde was there even when he wasn't there. Oh, you know, like that's the vibe of it. Oh. And then like the longest running lesbian bar, like known lesbian bar in the world, was in London as well. Was or is still? I don't know whether it's still open. Love to love to learn. I love to learn. Oh, love, love to, to learn. learn some stuff. Love to learn. All right. Well, we're gonna watch a Susie Sue video. That sounds um, good. And you should too. You can find us. Oh fuck! We need to close the we, podcast. This, thank you for listening to our podcast. Thank you. Um, you should leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You we love reading them. They make us very happy. Yeah, they're really cute. Um, it also helps other people find our podcast. Yeah. So that's help us spread the word. 
Um, you should leave us a rating as well, either on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. Mm-hmm. That'd be great. And um, you can find us at honeythispodcast.tumblr.com. You can. You can find us at honeythispod on Instagram. Yeah. You can find me at boy-zone.tumblr.com. And you can find me at tasteofchaos2005.tumblr.com. You can go long form and email us yeah. at honeythispod- honeythispodcast at gmail.com. And, and that's it. Yeah. And you can y- just send us a mental message through the airwaves. Yeah. Yeah. We'll feel your vibes. <laughs> just send us some vibes yeah. and we'll feel them. We're tuned in. Don't worry. We're tuned in. Yeah. Just like tune to the right channel. You'll know what it is when you feel it. Yeah. And, and like, we will too. And we'll just, we'll chat. Yeah. Cool. See you on the airwaves. See you on the airwaves. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.